So hi, everybody. Welcome to the RCP Medicine podcast series. Today, we're talking about ethnicity and health inequalities. Uh, my name is Dr. Ajay Verma. I'm a gastroenterologist in Northamptonshire. I have many roles, including being the chair of the RCP New Consultants Committee. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Veena Raleigh, who's a senior fellow uh, of policy at the King's Fund. Over to you, Veena. Hello, Ajay. Um, uh, yes, I'm senior fellow at the King's Fund. I'm an epidemiologist and I've been working in public health and health inequalities, including inequalities in ethnic health. Thank you, Veena. Veena, I'm going to start with just a simple statement here because I, I think this is what I may have been guilty of thinking about before. Um, is it as simple as uh, people from BAME communities have worse health outcomes and, and a bigger disparity in health inequalities? Actually, I wish it was as simple as that. It isn't. Um, in fact, health differences between ethnic minorities are very profound, and the differences in health between different ethnic groups are about as large as between ethnic groups and the white population, and they don't always go in one direction. So uh, I suppose this is incredibly topical, um, in the news recently, there's been a lot of talk about life expectancy um, on the back of a recent publication um, showing that uh, I think the headline uh, statistic was uh, a person from uh, a borough in London, say Chelsea, would have a life expectancy of perhaps even greater than 20 years from someone from Blackpool. Uh, why is there such a difference in, in life expectancy up and down the country? There are very significant differences in life expectancy. They're not quite as much as 20 years. It's about 10 years between some London boroughs and Blackpool. Um, the difference in healthy life expectancy is about 20 years. So people in poorer areas don't just live shorter lives. They actually live more of them in poor health. That's one dimension to life expectancy um, there are also this year, for the first time, ONS has published um, data on ethnic differences in life expectancy. So uh, you're beginning to paint a picture that this is complicated. So it, it's not just ethnicity or geography, uh, and there may be some variation within ethnicity itself? There is. So if I could just give you a thumbnail sketch of what the ethnic differences in life expectancy are. Perhaps in contradiction of your opening statement and um, contrary to public perception, life expectancy is actually longer in most ethnic minority groups than in the white group. I think that would come as a surprise to many people. I Within that, would. there are quite a lot of differences. Well, that, that would be, I think, a surprise from the kind of intuitive headlines we see. Um, so I suppose, can you expand on that further? Let's say we talk about South Asian communities. Are there differences within, within that group? There are differences within the South Asian communities and also in relation to the black groups. And um, although... ONS analysis also shows that although mortality has fallen in all ethnic groups uh, over the pre previous decade, um, th those ethnic differences have persisted. 
But okay. an interesting observation here, if I could just add, inequalities in life expectancy have been widening uh, between North and South, rich and poor. Um, surprisingly, some of the biggest gains in life expectancy over the past two decades have been in London and in parts of London like Tower Hamlets, Newham, Lambeth, Southwark, which are both deprived and have very large ethnic minority populations. And on contrast, you have areas up north, which are also poor. Many of them have large ethnic minorities, and their life expectancy has improved much less. Fina, what, what, what's happened in London then? Why, why has it been uh, such an improvement there uh, and, and not in the north? This is one that does need to be unpicked, I think, because what we're seeing is that there seems to be an interaction between ethnicity, geography, deprivation, and it's working differently in different areas. So, you know, what is it that's driving the changes in London that are not being seen elsewhere? Is it that less healthy people are moving out and more healthy migrants are moving into London? Or is it something more substantial than that? Is healthcare better in London? I think much of this needs to be unpicked, but it's just really to say that ethnic differences in health shouldn't really be seen in isolation because they do interact with other variables like geography and deprivation, deprivation being the single greatest determinant of health. Fina, can, can we go into this into a bit more detail? I suppose if we think of... Uh one of the biggest uh, causes of mortality, cardiovascular disease. Um, are there differences uh, due to uh, in, in that presentation of illness? There are very, very significant differences in both morbidity and mortality. And it's just to say that that headline figure I mentioned about life expectancy being higher in most minority groups Beneath that lies a great deal of difference in cause-specific mortality. So heart disease mortality, for instance, is much higher among South Asians than in the white population. And um, amongst black groups, it's mortality from hypertension, stroke. So the risk of overall of cardiovascular disease mortality is much higher in South Asian and black groups than in the white population. So, I mean, even that, I mean, that's um, that's something I would expect. But uh, given cardiovascular disease's implication in mortality, it is then a surprise that, as you said at the beginning, there, there is a, change, a difference in life expectancy looking at it the other way in terms of um, some some immigrant groups have better life expectancy. What about other conditions? Um, diabetes, for instance. Well, diabetes also works against ethnic minorities. The prevalence of diabetes is much higher in both South Asian and black groups, and also the mortality from diabetes is higher in these groups. And just to say that both cardiovascular disease and diabetes, as a clinician, you will know this, these are eminently preventable conditions. So really, we shouldn't be in this place. These are health conditions that can be both prevented and more effectively managed. But yes, both these are major killers and they do go in against the, um, they do make for higher mortality amongst ethnic minorities. But there so, are some roundabouts here. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So just to go in a bit even further, uh, when you talk about prevention, are you talking about primary prevention here? Are we talking about more effective treatments? Um, let, let's let's talk about uh, diabetes, for instance. Is this type 2 diabetes and is this an obesity-related problem? Uh, are we saying that um, there is an obesity problem which affects South Asians more or is it Again, as, as it seems to be the theme, more complicated than even that. I think there's a need for better prevention and better management. So um, obesity levels are higher amongst black groups. In South Asians, obesity is less of a problem in adults, but they are prone to abdominal obesity, which, of course, does increase the risk of both diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So there are risk factors and also levels of physical exercise are lower in both, minority, both these minority groups. So there are preventable features here. And one other thing to add that cardiovascular disease, as you mentioned, is, is a leading cause of death in the general population and is also significantly associated with deprivation in all ethnic groups. So a quarter of total and, premature, total and premature deaths are due to cardiovascular disease. And it also accounts for 25% of the life expectancy difference between most and least deprived groups. So here's another interaction where really if we target cardiovascular disease, we're reducing inequalities, not just in ethnic minorities, but also in the general population, including the white poor. I mean, they, uh, you know, I've done a little bit of reading in preparation for this, and it, and it is, frankly, uh, you know, the more you read, the more surprises are in there. Um, I, I'm of a South Asian background, and, um, you know, traditionally throughout my training and, and how maybe services are funded, um, South Asian groups are, are, are lumped together, say, where well, you're from the, you know, your heritage or you're, you're an immigrant from the South Asian populations. But I understand there's differences between Indian, Bangladeshi and Pakistani communities, uh, you know, as we talked about life expectancy and in things like cardiovascular disease. Yes, there is. I mean, South Asians generally are prone to cardiovascular disease. Uh, much of the epidemiological literature doesn't point to very significant differences there between the different subgroups. Um, so it is common across, uh, well, heart disease is common across all the South Asian groups. Mm -hmm. And likewise, hypertension across both Black African and Black Caribbean groups. Okay. Um, can we talk about uh, mental health um, and the differences uh, for mental health disorders? Yes, we can. Before we go on to that, it might be helpful just to explain why it is that ethnic minorities end up with lower, with higher life expectancy. Um, and that's because some of the other leading causes of death, like cancer and dementia, they tend to have much higher mortality in the white groups than in, in, in black groups. So both South Asian and black groups have a lower incidence of and mortality from most of the major cancers, except for prostate cancer, which 
black groups are more prone to. But overall, cancer mortality is much lower in both South Asian and black groups. And likewise, um, mortality from dementia and Alzheimer's disease, that's a very big killer. It's a leading killer amongst the white population. But ethnic minorities have lower mortality from dementia and Alzheimer's. So that's partly what I meant when I mentioned swings and roundabouts. Yes. But overall, for most leading causes of death, or for many of the leading causes of death, the, the pendulum swings in favour of ethnic minorities and hence their higher life expectancy overall. Uh, I mean, we, we've seen that in, in the line of work I'm in. So I'm a bowel cancer screener. And so we do screening colonoscopies uh, and intuitively and anecdotally, you always felt that um, South Asian patients and, and non-white um, populations had lower cancer rates. Um, but uh, interestingly, ethnicity was never recorded in the data. So when we looked at ethnicity, we found that bowel cancer rates for um, for white populations at screening colonoscopy were approaching 10%. But it was a fraction of that, you know, two, three percent for South Asian groups. And so, yeah, I think once you have that data, you do see the differences. We've noticed that, as I said, in bowel cancer. And you're right. Anecdotally, our clinicians would say that about cancer, that uh, it is it doesn't affect uh, non-white groups as, as much. So that that makes a, a lot of sense with that. I wasn't aware there was such a difference with with uh, dementia. There is, and but even in cancer, um, overall cancer mortality is lower amongst minority groups, but smoking levels are higher high in Bangladeshi males, so you know they have a their lung cancer mortality is higher, so that's an example of differentiation between the different minority groups that 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 occurs, and one other thing to mention here. Although mortality is lower, as a specialist in this area, you will know that cancer screening uptake is lower amongst minority groups for, you know, breast, cervical, colorectal, all of the screening programs have a lower uptake in ethnic minorities. And the evidence from other countries suggests that um, cancer patterns in migrants tend to, over time, start to converge towards those of the host population. And it's we don't know if that's going to be happening here. There's some indications it might. But it's a it's a good reason for ensuring that we do everything is done to increase and improve the uptake of screening in ethnic minority groups. Yeah, I mean that that was a, a big message really and and again it, it shows the, the complexities of, of what we're dealing with with each condition. Um, so I, we, we've mentioned briefly about mental health. Um, you, you were saying there were differences even in, in that presentation too. There are. There are very major differences in um, significant differences in mental health. So, for example, and it's a big and complex area, but to give you an example, one of the key distinguishing features is the higher levels of severe mental illness and um, psychosis, particularly amongst black groups and much higher rates of hospitalization and uses of the Mental Health Act in that group. It's been a long-standing and persistent feature 
uh, epidemiological feature in this country. But it is an area that does need to be looked at. And there's also evidence to suggest that the prevalence of common um, mental health disorders is higher amongst ethnic minority groups and that their access to services is less good. Maybe it's a bit of speculation, uh, Vina, but is that related to possibly the understanding of of disorders and, and cultural differences? Or do you think there's possibly a real differences due to other factors such as genetic factors? I think unlikely to be genetic. Um, it's uh, there's been a lot of work trying done trying to unpick what what causes these differences, and it, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a specialist in this area, but um, looking at the evidence across the board, nobody's quite put their finger on what causes the differences, but there will certainly be contributory factors. Uh, you know, deprivation will be one. What sort of circumstances, you know, are young black people growing up in? Are there contributory factors there? So I think it does need looking at, and there has been a focus in this. I think it's something that the Race Health Observatory is, is going to be looking at as well. And, and the final um, condition I wanted to touch upon, which is a, quite a change from mental health, was uh, infant mortality. Yes, so infant mortality is higher amongst all ethnic minority groups than in the white group, and it's highest in the Pakistani and the black groups. Now, some of these differences are related to deprivation, but again, there are differences within ethnic minority groups. So, for example, Difference, um, infant mortality from congenital anomalies is higher amongst Pakistani and Bangladeshi babies, whereas amongst the black groups, they're more likely to have preterm births and higher mortality from immaturity-related conditions. So there are di differences here even between the minority groups. And some of these, you know, may be attributable to things like later uptake of antenatal care, uh, possibly higher levels of obesity, um, but certainly deprivation is a big factor as well. I wanted to ask you about maternal mortality. Is it a similar picture uh, for that? It is. So maternal mortality rates are higher in both black groups and in South Asian women. And these maternal deaths, although the numbers of such deaths are, is not large, these are sentinel events and they should not be occurring. So the reasons for why these women are dying in childbirth should be investigated and addressed. So, uh, I mean, we've talked a, a fair bit now about the different conditions. I mean, looking at the whole picture across healthcare, you know, and starting with the opening statement, you, you've quite... Uh, clearly shown us and, and told me that this is very complicated and there are lots of differences and there are lots of factors. So what is driving the differences? You know, is this um, racism? Is there uh, is this simply cognitive dissonance, our, our kind of desire to make things simple and it's not and we've not appreciated things? Um, you've mentioned deprivation, but, you know, I'd like to see what your view is, being an expert in this um, you know, 
what drives what and, and, and how? So, I mean, health outcomes are the final outcomes of many determinants, and they go well beyond healthcare itself. So, you know, people's migration histories are different. They're coming from different backgrounds. Their behavioral factors, you know, things like around diet, obesity, exercise, smoking, are, are different. Um, socioeconomic conditions vary very significantly, including between ethnic minority groups. So, you know, if you look, for instance, at educational outcomes, then many minority groups actually do better than the white group. But And if you look at socio, um, other economic features like household ownership, then, you know, Indians have amongst the highest ownership. And in many, on many levels, um, the Indians and the Chinese do better economically than, than, than the white groups. So there are big differences between ethnic minority groups. And, of course, there are differences in cultural factors, in physiological factors, in behavioral factors. And all this happens within a wider social context in which there is racism and discrimination. Um, it, and where it occurs, it will undoubtedly impact on the individual's physical and mental health. So it's a mosaic of factors that's actually contributing to these differences. And I think the most important message would be that we need to recognize these differences so that interventions and strategies are developed that target the specific differences and issues applying in each community. So, uh, I mean, that, that brings on nicely to my next question. What, what as of today as of this month what is being done to address these the causes of the differences between ethnicities well there's been a lot of talk over time about ethnic differences in health as we've discussed they tend to go in both directions in some ways ethnic minorities do better in some ways they do worse but in general the attention paid to health inequalities has has really lapsed in recent years, particularly over the last decade. Um, CQC's produced its State of the Health and Care report out just today, and in that they note that um, inequalities are not being addressed by the health and care sector. So in between 2000 and 2010, there was a very active inequalities reduction strategy that was adopted in order to reduce health inequalities by adopting a cross-government approach, recognizing that health is influenced by other factors as well, like occupation, housing, employment, environment, air pollution, and so on. And during that decade, health inequalities narrowed. But since then, they have been widening overall. So altogether whether it's ethnic inequalities, and I think they should be seen in the context of wider health inequalities. They have not been sufficiently the focus, the centre, the core of all health strategy and government strategy. And that needs to change. And above all, COVID has shown why it needs to change, because inequalities, including ethnic inequalities, have widened tremendously um, over the past decade, and even more so 
following the pandemic. So I think that brings me on to the, the next bit I wanted to ask you about, really, and, and it is about COVID. And um, has COVID followed the same patterns of, of what we've described or has there been any surprises during the pandemic uh, about um, the, the, the kind of outcomes it, uh, across the ethnicities? Well, COVID being a very virulent infectious disease, has exacerbated all inequalities. It's had the greatest impact on more deprived areas, and it's also had the greatest impact on ethnic minorities. Um, so infection levels and mortality have been much higher amongst ethnic minorities. Now, there again, it's overlaid because a very significant proportion of the excess mortality from COVID in ethnic minorities has resulted from geography. So COVID has been higher in the communities in which they've been living. By deprivation, by occupation, many ethnic minorities, um, ethnic minorities are overrepresented in frontline workers and healthcare professionals. Um, so they have taken the heavier brunt of, 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 of COVID. So COVID has exacerbated all inequalities. And of course, the prevalence of conditions like diabetes and CVD have also increased the susceptibility of an adverse outcome for, for both deprived and in particular ethnic minority communities. Vina, uh, can I ask you about vaccination um, and how, you know, how has that um, played out across the ethnic groups? So... Uptake was slower amongst many ethnic minority groups. There's been a level of vaccine hesitancy. Um, but here again, public health services have been very active in ethnic minority communities. And it's been very reassuring that particularly amongst the South Asian groups, vaccination levels are, have really improved and are pretty not far off what they are in the white population. They are still lagging in the black groups. And I think that remains an area of concern. But it, it, in a way, what COVID has shown is the power of local public health services to reach into communities, to, to induce behavior change, acceptance of um, public health interventions and so on. And I think we should learn wider lessons from this in terms of applying them to behaviour change in relation to risk factors, modifying risk factors for, for example, cardiovascular disease and diabetes, obesity and so on. Um, Vina, you've quite eloquently explained um what what has been done and, and you've put it through the lens of COVID and I agree, you know, I think for all the negative aspects of COVID that there is going to be a lots of positives that come out of it because of, of, of the impact it's had. Just across the board of the whole topic, what else needs to be done in your view? Um, and, you know, and maybe again, maybe I've not learned the lessons of what you've told me, but if there was one uh, aspect you could prioritise, which one would you prioritise? So I would start with just saying that we've become inured to health inequalities widening. You know, every year for the past decade, they've slowly widened a little bit more, a little bit more. And it's, it's you know, we almost have stopped seeing it. COVID should be and is being a wake-up call 
And I think this really is time for action. I think one of the things that COVID has shown is the importance of prevention. Um, we need, you know, it has greatly exposed the risk of dying because of pre-existing conditions, for example. Obese people have a much higher level of mortality. But these are risk factors, not just for for COVID, but as we've talked about, but also cardiovascular disease, diabetes, but also cancer, dementia, and respiratory diseases is another problem. So there's a lot that can be done, but I think the primary focus should be on prevention. And here again, you know, it's sobering that the public health budget, I think the Health Foundation's work has shown that the public health budget has been cut by a quarter in real terms per capita since 2015. Now, if we're serious about tackling inequalities and many of the big killers in both poor groups and ethnic minority groups are preventable conditions, then I think we need to get serious about prevention. And then, of course, you know, early management and effective management particularly, again, with the backlog of care that COVID has like, left us with. There are people, you know, who will, who's, you know, there'll be people with untreated hypertension, high blood sugars, high cholesterol. There's been evidence that during the lockdown, people have gained weight. There's been less exercise. So I think we really have to move on the public health prevention agenda. And then it also goes beyond that because then it goes back really to where we started, which is health is a multifactorial. So it's affected by many things that go beyond healthcare. This needs to be owned by a cross-government strategy for tackling health inequalities, which means tackling poverty, tackling poor employment, tackling poor housing, air pollution, it needs to go much beyond. There needs to be a health inequality strategy that's owned across government with clear goals, clear strategies for implementing them and accountability for delivery. Fina, I'm going to ask you something which uh, is something I'm interested in and I just wanted your view on this. So, we look at the workforce itself of healthcare professionals, and um, from the data I know, I think up to a third of uh, healthcare professionals um, are from uh, a non-white background. Um, and I'm just wondering, um, how how do you think that influences care? Well, it's very encouraging that. Um, ethnic minorities are, are well represented in the clinical professions and that will inevitably, you know, the doctor-patient interface, um, will it will help that. I think what where workforce issues pan out less well is, is in the form of senior leadership. So um, the King's Fund has produced a couple of reports relating to this. And that's where we don't see adequate representation of ethnic minorities. And that that needs to change. Um, you know, the staff survey, the NHS staff survey repeatedly shows that ethnic minority 
groups respond less favorably, they report discrimination, less opportunities for career progression. That really does need to change because, and that needs a culture change and ownership by, by leadership because that too will help to ensure that healthcare is being delivered in, in a way and through systems that truly understand the populations they're dealing with. Vina, just a, a real change in tack now. So reading your biography, it, it looks like you've um, done work uh, on the international stage um, and looking at similar issues in populations of developing countries. I think that's quite interesting. Are there, are there things to be learned from looking more globally? I think there are definitely things to be learned from looking more globally. Um not least from, you know, during the pandemic, um, you know, we've seen how effectively some countries, particularly Southeast Asian countries, have tackled the pandemic. So I think one eye outside to see what's happening elsewhere is certainly um, is, is, is always worth doing. And just in that context, I think, it's worth remembering that in the UK, we spend less on health care and we have fewer doctors, nurses and hospital beds per thousand population than many West European comparator countries. And if we're going to, if we really want world class health outcomes, then we need to invest in, in this sector. We haven't talked to you about social care, but you know that, and again, is a very is a is a sector in 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 crisis. Mm-hmm. And I think if we really want world class health outcomes, then we do need to invest in people and the infrastructure rather more than we do. Vina, you've had a um, a long career and and. Uh, lots of uh, awards and celebrations associated with that. Um, Slightly a personal question from me, really. Have you got um, any tips or advice for uh, someone embarking in a a career, um, generic lifestyle advice or kind of a a career advice for someone who's starting at the beginning of their career? Find something that incites you, make it a passion and, and go for it. Because it is possible to reach the stars if you want to. Um, on that note, Vina, uh, I think we will we'll stop right there. But thank you so much for uh, having a discussion with me. I think we, we have concluded that uh, it's complicated and, and there isn't uh, straightforward solutions and, you know, time, effort, uh, including mental effort to get our heads around this, as well as uh, lots of policy and and. Uh, looking across society for solutions is is the way to try and tackle uh, health inequalities. So thank you, uh, Vina, for your time today. Thank you for having me.